Hello, this is the Just Bloody Post-It podcast and I'm Helen Perry, your host. Everything I know about marketing is self-taught, on the job, supported by a network of business buddies. And I promise to always share what I've learned and what they've taught me with you. This is a friend's edition. My mate, Antonia Taylor, PR founder, writer and poet, is our guest. She's going to tell us how to be more than one thing. You have to trust your community enough to know that they want to see all these parts of you. And if they don't, they don't. And if you lose people along the way, you lose people along the way. I hope I've been able to paint a richer picture of what it is. But for me, in terms of being more than one thing, there is also a single thread through it all, which is connection. It's connecting my clients to their communities or their audiences. Hopefully my poetry connects to people on some level as well. Tony's work has always been to get the right kind of publicity for other people. But in recent years, she's been making more room for herself in her business. She's become a published poet, had a feature in Red Magazine, and we find we have a lot to talk about when it comes to the business of doing communications brilliantly. We have our own things going on, but we run them in pretty similar ways from home around family and say that we're free to go for a walk or almond croissant on a Friday morning if we want to. And it was on one of these walks a while ago that we got talking about pitches, the art of asking for what you want, selling your ideas and how to do it well. And I thought there's a show in this. So we're going to chat about that and poems and LinkedIn and about that time when we ran an events side hustle together. But first, I asked Tony to explain what public relations is really all about. At its essence, PR is all about the way that an organisation or even, you know, an, an individual communicates with their audience or their public and it's about how they promote themselves and build a positive reputation essentially traditionally that was always done through the media but obviously with the with social media coming into play that sort of like really disrupted the industry and just like opened up the way that we can work but I would say that for me if a client comes to me they want 80% of their Um, profile to be in what we would call traditional media so in newspapers and magazines and sort of like reputable online publications why is there still a demand for that is that an inbuilt snobbery an old-fashioned way of valuing old media over new media or actually is there still a lot to be said for getting your name in a great paper or a great magazine or being on a big tv show or the today program That's a really hard one. And I think, you know, you will always get people that kind of, you know, it comes from a place of vanity, you know, potentially. I really believe, I mean, we can go into, you know, a very deep conversation about the value and the influence of the media. Ultimately, if you have a lovely piece of coverage in The Times or in Sifted or in the FT or in Courier magazine, Somewhere along the way, a journalist has decided that your story or your service or your product is worthy of this piece of coverage. And it's that third party endorsement that ultimately carries the weight. And, you know, you can go onto Facebook or you can go onto Instagram and talk to your blue in the face about how amazing you are. But if you've got a journalist saying that about you, it just carries a different kind of weight. And I think you only have to look at social media to see when people get coverage you know, they're just like, oh, you know, just waving around this, you know, thank you, Red Magazine, for this piece of coverage. Thank you, Refinery29, for this for covering my story. It still has that weight. 
Yeah, and it still has that authority and that sense of accomplishment. We want to appear on other people's programmes and shows and in papers and be seen more widely. And an unexpected side effect for me of having a podcast is that people pitch me to appear on the show. And this is how we got talking about it, because awkwardly, 99%, if not the full 100 of the pitches I get from people who want to be on this show are not good they're not good. I'm sorry, guys. It's Tony, how do you get yourself featured in the place that you want to be seen in? What? Where's the start? I mean, the starting point is really to think about who you're pitching to and not make it about yourself. And I think, I think this is where people fall down. You have to remember that the journalist or the podcaster, they're looking to create like, you know, the perfect content for their readers or their listeners or their community. And so you kind of have to just, you have to come from a place of empathy and sort of almost that sort of, um, that affinity, what's going to connect rather than, hi, Helen, my name's Tony and I've been doing PR for 10 years and I think my story is really, really important and special and this is all about me. And, you know, you just have to remove that. You have to come from a thought, a place of thoughtfulness, what you're bringing, what you're contributing, like, you know, how you're bringing a conversation on. I I think that's the thing. And also like, you know, why... um, like a pitch in its essence, it's just an idea. Yeah. It's just, well, that's what it is. It's a short personalized message and that outlines the value of a story. Um, you know, why it should be published or broadcast in a particular place. Simple as. I think also, I remember once going to a red event and Natasha Lunn was talking about, she's head of features. And like one of the things that she said is that was just, just like, it's actually quite beautiful for me. It's just that, you know, all good stories, they come from an honest place. And I think that sometimes in our desperation for validation, in our desperation to, uh, you know, to hit our own marketing milestones, whatever, we forget like what the point, what that place of truth is. What you've said is bang on because the problem with the pitches I get is they are, they follow the exact format that you described. Hi, my name is Sarah. I'm really brilliant and I think I should come on your podcast. And it's just... uh, And Sarah is really brilliant, but she hasn't told me really what she's going to talk about, why it would be of value to my audience, specifically even what the title of the show could be, or even proven that they've listened to a previous episode and said, you know what, I heard you talking to Antonia about this, and I think I could bring that conversation on, or we could chat about that. You've got to kind of do a bit more work to make it obvious to me why I should have you on the show. And from the point of view of honesty, if you just need to say, I've got a book out and I really want to promote it, I'd almost I'd almost respect that more than like... Yeah, and this is what my book is about. And this is why I think it's of value to your listeners. And this is why I'm the best person to tell this story. And this is why I care about this subject. And I think your, your listeners will really care about it as well. You just have to flip it. You know, like when we when we, we talk about writing a lot and we talk about just flipping over to the you, I just even think, you know, that simple mind shift, comms shift, it just makes all the difference. Yeah, everything you write is about the person who's reading it. It's for them. Once you've committed it to paper or Instagram or LinkedIn or wherever, it's a it belongs to the person who reads it. So what's in it for them? It has to be completely immediately obvious. Always. And, you know, we know this you know, that's what people, you know, the first question that people ask is like, what's in it for me? 
And, you know, this is for media pitching, but really it's also like, you know, if you're pitching, you know, a piece of new business as well, you know, you have to like, you know, why am I the best person to do this in this way, in a way that will resonate for you and make a difference to you? And I think people just lack that clarity. I think that's where people fall down. They get so sort of like het up in like, you know, I've got to pitch three podcasts today. Um, but you're also right. Like it takes a lot of work. I got an article in Red. I Again, I'm not great at doing my own PR, but I had thought about this for a while. But I, you know, I had, you know, I'd nurtured a relationship with Natasha, who I was pitching into. I put a lot of thought in. I'm a subscriber to Red as well. And I think this is another thing I have, you know, when I coach clients, I'll say to them, like, you know, what's your favorite magazine? Where do you want to be? And like, oh, I don't read magazines. And you're just like, dude, this is, you know, it has to be a relationship as well. And also you have to sort of like, you know, think about how, you know, how the podcast is made up. What's the structure of a newspaper? What's the structure of, of, of a magazine? If you target it and make it really thoughtful and understand your place in it, I think that just, that's half the work. I think that's where PR people come in because, you know, we spend hours and hours getting to know the media and finding the right slots, the right contacts. I am going to pick up on something that you said there, which is something that you are particularly good at, which is why you're good at PR. It's about connections. Pitching, like it doesn't just, like pitching, the actual sending of the email or the or the DM or whatever is the last thing. That's the last stage in the pitch. Actually, if you want to get something, if you want somebody to say yes to you, the most likely people in the world to say yes will be the people who know you already. The people who say yes when I invite them onto my podcast are people who I've chatted with at the very least behind the scenes on Instagram. Maybe people I've met in real life. It's all about deeper connections that's why we put the legwork in with our network right yeah I mean I'm not great at like cold calling or you know I think I've sent out two cold call emails for consultancy work in my life and weirdly I got one back so I've got a 50% hit rate because you know I'd done some research about you know I, I it was yeah that really worked out just doing that research you know, and again, it's about having that warmth and it's about having that understanding and that, that connection with a person. Like, again, like, you know, journalists, you know, they, they want you to be the best that you can be. They want, they need your story. Like, we're on a 24, as everybody knows, we're on a 24-hour news cycle. Journalists want content. So it's just about getting yourself known as the best person in your space, you know, through your network, through your relationships, through that consistent showing up. And I think, I think it's funny what you say about sort of like, I've never really been like, you know, I've never been like a, a conscious networker at all. I remember once someone introducing me to someone and saying that, you know, you're a great networker. And I was like, ooh, like that's me, really? I know, I hated using that word a minute ago, but I just couldn't think of another one. But it's just, you know, when people are talking about networking, they're just talking about having a good number of relationships. And the fact, if you have those, it's more likely that you're going to be able to make things happen when you need to. Yeah, and also, again, I think, you know, with networking as well, it's always about what you can give back. Within, I mean, and we've talked about this, you know, you have to have those boundaries in place as well. But it is about, you know, how you can help people and just thinking about bringing people together. And I think I've written about this in my in my newsletter about how I've sort of come to it from a place of friendship. You know, I don't make contacts, I make friends. And I actually got laughed out of the room. 
course it's true. Like if an email lands in your inbox, you're most likely to open it and give it due consideration if you know the person that it's come from. If an email lands from somebody you, either you haven't heard from in 10 years or you've got no idea who they are in the first place, chances are you're not even going to read it till the end unless it is the world's greatest email. I agree. And I, th- and I think it has been hard over the last two years. I mean, certainly I noticed that my network has probably, you know, got smaller because we haven't had the same opportunities that we had even well obviously today's the anniversary of lockdown isn't it two years ago if you go to like you know industry events or you know the kind of events that we used to run you naturally forge those relationships and the connect those connections and there's this gorgeous like ripple effect that happens I mean look how look how your network has expanded in the last five years you know and the way that you can everyone wants to help people to be able to to put that back into your network as well I think is is really helpful. It was really something. I mean, it just all of it works better when you mean it. Every single aspect of every part of communication, marketing, business growing, client building, networking. If you mean it, it, it people people know, and um, you never know when you might need a favor from someone, or they might need it from you. But if you're genuinely friends, then it will be it will be done, won't it? It will happen. I would encourage people that, you know, like if to ask for help or think about where people can help them. When people ask for recommendations, it's so lovely to be able to recommend someone or pass a piece of business on to a mate or something. You know, it just that kind of stuff feels really good. And, you know, those are the sort of like metrics that we have in our business that we probably don't pay attention to. Bringing it back to PR, like if you become known for making great recommendations and that you become a really trusted person, that's something as well. That feels that feels really good. I love making recommendations. So I would say that your ability to think about how things are going to work for other people has sometimes got in the way of you promoting your own work on the internet because you act for clients, but you do also have an online presence. And in the course of the time that I've known you, that's been on Instagram, on LinkedIn, uh, you've started a newsletter, Talk us through the things that you do to promote your work. The driving force of how I promote myself is through my newsletter, which is called The Conversation. And it's monthly and it's it's about thoughtful marketing, essentially, from PR to writing to how to use LinkedIn. That, that sort of like has become almost like the engine of it. And then all my social falls out of that. I found... Instagram has been great for community and for um, from the writing side of my business. And then I would say that LinkedIn has been incredible in terms of building the consultancy side of Antonia Taylor PR. And then I have, you know, I also try and do my own PR and I'm in terms of like traditional media. And that's just something that I set out at the beginning of the year and of course is March and I haven't done anything about that. <laughs> and yet, of course, all the things that are still on the notebook with your newsletter the conversation and I'll put a sign up link to that in the show notes how have you found your own voice in your writing for your newsletter and come out from behind Antonia Taylor PR that's a really interesting question it has been hard and I think it was a massive shift sort of like just even stepping back from the newsletter to actually start promoting myself as as a brand, as a personal brand, beyond just being a consultant as well. And I would say that probably only started happening about four years ago when I noticed that I was getting invited to do, to speak about PR, speak at conferences, 
to run masterclasses, etc. And I was like, oh, I could build this. The reason I hadn't done it was because a, I hadn't actually sort of like been driven by that sort of intention before. And so it's been a massive shift. It's pro- I've probably spent thousands and thousands of pounds on coaching and everything to make this shift where um, I've become my own. The idea is that I am my own I'm my priority client. My business is my priority client. So on a Monday... Ooh, I've never heard you say that before. I love it. I'm my priority client. Well, you should be your number one client. We should... And the kind of work that we do, all of us should be our number one client. And like for me to block out like eight to 10 on a Monday morning to do my stuff, that's taken me years to get to that point. You know, I would usually be head down. Of course, I have to shift it if I've got like, you know, a, a press priority. I was scared to commit to a newsletter because I was like, oh my God, it's going to take forever and I should be doing billable work. And so like having that shift and like seeing that, you know, that long, thinking about the longer game and building that profile. So the newsletter leads that and then all the other, you know, we're both big fans of repurposing. So, and and also like, you know, my business has evolved. I'm leaning much more towards writing the last sort of, probably even in the last year alone. I want to bring in more elements of writing into my business. So I've had to shift my focus a little bit as well. Okay, let's talk about this, Tony, because you have become, as you say it, more than one thing professionally in recent years. And that includes being a published writer and poet. Has that been something that's always been inside you that you never thought would be part of your work or is it actually something that uh, you've grown into as you come into your 40s you know it's probably a bit of both when I look back I mean like we've laughed that you know my first job was in a library when I was 15 and my first internship was in a publishing house and you kind of like you just tie all these dots backwards my daughter was reading my copy of Deanie you know the Judy Bloom book and she's like mummy and like, it's got like, the book's got a number in there. It's got a stamp. It's got my name. I've ticked all the Judy Bloom books that I've read, you know, in the inside pages. So it's just, there's, there's a little bit of a pattern there. Um, and I just think I lost that part of myself as, as we do, like going into life. You know, little markers along, you know, across the journey. But then, yeah, I just, I think it just became so hard not to be that person that it just had to, she just had to come through. That is how I felt when I was, before I started this business, I just had this strong feeling of something had to come out. There was a necessary like creativity. It just had to happen. Funnily enough, I was just flicking through an old notebook and I'd been speaking to like a coach about four years ago. And again, I don't want to sound like all woo-woo, but she's like, this is a soul contract. And that's what it is. It's just like, that's what it is. What do you write poems about? So I would say... A lot of it is actually weirdly about identity. As you know, I am, um, my dad was Cypriot and I grew up in Cyprus. And so, yeah, about sort of like belonging. There's a, you know, the political situation over there. A bit about motherhood as well. So, but I would say that probably the whole sort of like split identity, connection, belonging is my main theme for my poems. And in the past couple of years, you have gotten some of your poems published making you an official poet how does that feel does it feel amazing 
Of course it does. I mean, I remember like, you know, when I got my first like acceptance, I was just like, I was crying. I rang my husband. He thought something horrible had happened to the kids. You know, it's that kind of thing. You keep on moving your milestones. And so, so now I'm like working towards, you know, a, a pamphlet. It it doesn't stop. And it is, it's tiring as well because you always feel like you just, sometimes you just have to say like, don't, don't use this for poetry. Like my daughter can tell when I'm thinking of like, you know, if I'm making a note of something. Are you borrowing my emotions, mummy, for your poems? <laughs> yes. Are you translate translating my life into your poems, basically? It took you a while before you started sharing the fact that, you know, your, your poetry is now part of your work. Why? First of all, I, I couldn't understand, I couldn't begin to see you know, in my head, I've got, you know, this client, like, what would he think if he saw this? And like, you know, he'd be like, WTF she doing with this? Why isn't she out pitching me into the FT? And then I just, you know, I just, I just think you just have to just grow up and stop caring what other people, you know, it's that whole thing. It's a choice. We have agency about our work. I can choose to do this or I can choose not to. Sometimes it feels very vulnerable. Of course, your audience and your clients are able to tolerate you also being this extra thing as we all are what it is is just that you have to trust your community enough to know that they want to see all these parts of you and if they don't they don't and if you lose people along the way you lose people along the way I I hope I've been able to paint a richer picture of what it what it is and also of course like because for, for me the things that I in terms of being more than one thing there is also a single thread through it all which is connection you know, it's connecting my clients to their communities or their audiences. Hopefully my poetry connects to people on some level as well. And so, so there is that single thread that brings being more than one thing together. Lots of people find it hard to talk about that sort of like multi-passionate identity, you know, but what will so-and-so think if they know that I really love ceramics as well as being a SaaS developer? What are people, you know, and I think there's that fear thing. I think people... I think we just have to trust that the right people will get it and that you will, you, it just means that you can reach for more. I think we underestimate how much all of us are more than one thing and finding out about somebody else's other layer of interest or passion will actually be really freeing for other people when they see you do it, Tony. I think so. And I think also, I think at the moment as well, you know, coming out of these last two years of whatever this way of living and working has been, it's just all mesh. I mean, for mental health reasons, there's nothing else. Like, you know, the last thing we need is more separation. And so it's just like, if you can just bring all those parts to to the picture, there's absolutely no way that I could sit here and tell people to be authentic if I was hiding a huge part of what I was doing. Authenticity is a slippery concept, but with all the different layers of honesty or the different things that we can show that are truly meaningful to us, then you get closer to that being in that state of being authentic whatever whatever that is and whatever word you choose to use to describe it tony and i used to run events together we called ourselves elevate it was a little side hustle three or four years ago now is that the right time scale yeah, yeah. We hosted small gatherings for people who wanted to learn more about this kind of marketing PR stuff. And they were daytime events. What was not traditionally what you would describe as successful about them is that they were not profitable. You'd set the foundations and you, you know, definitely had 
discovered that you had this great talent for community building and creating great content. And I think you were just look, you were looking for, okay, well, what does this mean? And also we were working in a different world then. That world was very different. Um, and I think for me, I think I'd come out of like uh, a year of just really solid consultancy and I was probably a bit burnt out hadn't sort of like gathered the confidence around the writing yet and so I found it a really lovely creative outlet and I think if this is our how to fail moment it um was a a much needed stepping stone then perhaps for both of us on the way to doing the more right thing for each of us separately yeah I just it was a, it was an experiment. It was an experiment. It was probably an expensive experiment, I would say, for like financially. We did get a lot out of it. We got, you know, we we helped a lot of. I would say that we actually we helped a lot of people. We know that we bought lots of. We, we created lots of new friendships as well. I remember one time we ran an event and we were leaving, and there were three lovely attendees having a glass of prosecco together afterwards. And I know that they're still friends. That feels really good. So I think we definitely attracted, you know, a number of friendships and, and connections in that way. It was expensive for us. And I think I think for me, the, the signal for us is that we were always both so exhausted afterwards. It was obviously draining a part of us that just wasn't meeting. Because if it was fueling the right part of us, we wouldn't have come away from those, like, unconscious on the sofa the day afterwards. Good observation. I suppose what stuck with me about it is just how incredibly difficult it is to make money selling in real life events. However, and I want to get your thoughts on this, I went to a lunch with some girls that I've been working with for over a year. And actually, they organised the lunch, not me. I would not have suggested it. And it just, it was one of those magic moments when nearly everybody could make it against the odds. And it was so joyful. And it reminded me of how important it is to make in real life connections. But what's the place for that then when you can't make any money out of it? How how do you look at it? I don't know. What, what do you think? I think people have got remote working fatigue. We talk about this. You know, I think I've quoted this to you before the CEO of Google saying you know people are living um, and working on the memory of relationships but memories fade so I think there is going to be a demand for in-person connection and I would you know I don't think they're going to be necessarily those I don't know I mean maybe big conferences have got a place but I would say like you like you said like those smaller well curated events of probably not more than about 12 to 16 people where you can have the value and you can have the deeper connection. I think there is going to be a place for those. I was on a panel about a month ago for a startups event and, you know, it was just, people were just so happy to see people and be in the same room and people are ready to be human again. I think there has to be a place, but I just can't quite work out what it looks like. Nearly finished, but I want to talk to you about LinkedIn because I rarely get to speak to people about LinkedIn on this program because people don't tend to use it as much and you do. And it's been a very valuable tool for you. And I go on there and my heart sinks, but actually you share good content on LinkedIn. Should people consider it as a platform? And if they do, how should they use it best? People should consider it as a platform, whether your service or whether your product. I think LinkedIn, LinkedIn, like for me, I was thinking about this because I knew that you wanted to talk about LinkedIn. I was trying to think like, 
LinkedIn is kind of like, you know that boy at school that you knew always had a crush on you and you kind of felt like, I should really try harder with him. You know, I should give him a bit more attention. I should be kinder to him. There's such an opportunity with LinkedIn. Like for me, the game changer on LinkedIn is when it sort of like shifted to a publishing platform rather than a networking platform. I understand entirely why people go on there and they think, oh my God, this is like, you know, crushingly salesy or, you know, people operating at this sort of like slick surface level. I think LinkedIn have worked as a platform, they've worked so hard to get away from that. You know, they've just enabled this like newsletter functionality. They're doing lives. Their live and video is not great. Perhaps the opportunity is there's a lot of content everywhere. There's not a lot of great content everywhere. So if you can share something actually creative uh, on LinkedIn, people will be like, wow, this is interesting. I know I've published a couple of videos on there in the past uh, and the traction they get is amazing considering my, 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 my new audience there. LinkedIn really rewards um, video as well. I mean, again, it's about that like, if you can go up there, go on to LinkedIn and like, come from that place of like, I'm going to be myself and I'm not going to play into, you know, algorithms, etc. I think I think there is that opportunity to stand out and and make meaningful connections. I've just I've actually just had a project through for the next three months, which came through someone that recommended me off LinkedIn. I don't know if I can say the same for Instagram in terms of actually being able to tie it back to direct leads for leads generation. And of course, like you know, you know, again with LinkedIn, you know, you can boost things. You can have your organic reach. And I know that we've talked a lot about the organic potential of LinkedIn, which is massive. But then there is also the paid for, pay to play. I think you could probably map out an entire business strategy on LinkedIn. It's just not as sexy. And I think that's why nobody cares how many connections you've got on LinkedIn. But if oh, if you've got 5,000 Instagram followers, then that's cool. It's, uh, but I, I think it can be really effective, especially if you're putting something out there that's worth reading, which not a lot of people are. If you are on there to grow your business in particular, I think you have to remember that people on LinkedIn, that they're probably more um, buying ready than people are on other platforms. You know, because, you know, ultimately people use Instagram also as a social you know, it's, it's a social network in its truest sense. Whereas with LinkedIn, you know, I think, I, mean, I can't remember what the figure is, but, you know, the number of people that are using it as a, ultimately a procurement platform, you know, people on there will be looking to buy. People will be searching for services and support and and consultancy on there. So I think the audience is so much more game if you're looking to sell. And I don't, I don't think you can like, underestimate the value of having such a captive audience. Finally, I would like to hear your advice for somebody listening who's more than one thing, but perhaps isn't sharing all of those aspects of themselves with their community. How to start? I'm going to borrow David Hyatt. I went to his wonderful um, newsletter course, January 2020. And I was having a chat to him about, you know, trying to grow my newsletter. And he said, show yourself. And that is just the best advice that I think anyone could give someone. So I'm going to just repeat that. So it's just about showing yourself. It's not like you have to bear your soul to the world. You know this. You're really great at keeping boundaries about the kids, for example. But, you know, show the parts of yourself that are going to connect with your audience. Show the parts of yourself that make you feel whole and like integrated in your business. I think that's it. Thank you, Tony. Thank you for having me. 
Oh, there we go. I can see why lots of folks record podcasts with their friends. What a pleasure. Thank you, Tony. Shall we all set ourselves the challenge of showing more of what makes us us to other people? They can take it because they're more than one thing too. Don't miss an episode of Just Bloody Post It ever. Subscribe where you like to listen to your podcasts and leave a review, please, especially on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people to find the show and is so very, very appreciated. I'll be back soon. Goodbye. <laughs>